By now you'll have heard or seen that I'm working with a new golf app called Tangent, who are also sponsoring this show. It's the smartest AI caddy in golf and is able to recommend not only clubs to hit, but target locations based on the math behind strokes gained and your own personal shot patterns. Unlike many other shot trackers, it also takes into account and adjusts for hazards that are out there. It has sensorless tracking with an amazing automatic swing detection that you can use with your Apple Watch or your phone without any need to buy any attachments for your clubs. And my favorite part, the post-round analysis data helps you immediately see where you can improve and gives you simple breakdowns that you can dive into if you want much more detail about your stats. It then links this data to recommendations and actual practice drills that you can use to improve. Getting measurable data for both on-course and practice drills makes Tangent one of the best game improvement ecosystems that I've ever seen. So download Tangent for free on the Apple App Store or at tangent.golf and use promo code SWEET30, that's S-W-E-E-T-3-0, for 30% off. So you'll get a free trial, and if you like it and want to continue, it'll give you 30% off a subscription. So just try it out, play a few rounds with it, and I know you'll love it. So that's Tangent, T-A-N-G-E-N-T, and enter code SWEET30. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to another episode of The Sweet Spot. This is John Sherman from Practical Golf. And as always, I'm joined by... Adam Young from Adam Young Golf. I was just practicing at my course. I was I was there for like an hour. I think that's like the most I can practice. I just get bored. Can you practice longer than that? I can when I've got my simulator set up because it's so much more engaging. You can see exactly. I'm, not, how I'm far talking it like is. real. I'm talking real golf, not simulated golf. <laughs> I was at a short game facility, like putting, hitting balls into the actual sky. If I got short game, I could probably do a couple of hours of practice. But the the thing is, for me, practice. After five or six shots, I see my pattern and I can change it. So there's no there's no real reason to stay there pounding ball after ball. There's just not a big return on time invested for me. Because I don't see golf anymore as just grinding out and ingraining something. It's not it's not that anymore for me. It's no. What are my patterns that impact? Change them. And I can do that very quickly. So like I said, there's just no need for me to stand there pounding balls really i guess i used to when i was younger but you know today i spent maybe 20 minutes at the short game facility hitting wedge shots just getting my feels for various distances hitting some bunker shots because that always gives me problems by the way i've switched to the weaker grip in the bunker and it's really helping me a lot yeah it's it's definitely helping me engage the bounce more Hmm. But yeah, just stuff like that. I have another tournament next week, so I'm just trying to sharpen things up. So yeah, I spent like an hour and I'm like, that's it. I'm done. That's all I got. Yeah, I think if I was preparing for tournaments, it would be just just an hour. I'd be playing more games, doing more random practice, things like that. Yeah. Anyways, that's not what we're talking about today, but I figure I'd just throw that out there in case anyone wonders. How long does John Sherman practice for? Now you know. That's the most I can practice for. (laughs) You can stuff that in the uh, I don't care box. What are we talking about today? We're talking about locus of attention. This is a good one. I think this is an episode, I like all of our episodes, but this is one that I don't know if I've ever really heard many other people talk about it. And and you had it in, in your book, The Practice Manual. We, we've spoken about it before, but I'm kind of glad to bring this one out on our podcast because it's. I think it's a unique topic and it really gets to the thought of like, what do you think about while you hit a golf ball? Well, the biggest thing I always get after people read the book is I never thought about what I thought about. (laughs) It's just they always take it for granted. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think we as golfers, a common theme that we've been talking about on this show, what are we, 17 episodes in? I've lost track. Actually, this is our 18th episode. Great. A lot of people defer. We talk about 
how the golf industry has pushed people towards the mechanical, all the different swing thoughts. And in this episode, I think we're going to define that and maybe give some alternative things you could be thinking about that hopefully will help a lot of people. Yeah. How would you define locus of attention? We've talked about it before, but there's three categories, the internal, external, and neutral. I've got a few more than that, but yeah, go on. Oh, you do? You have more for me? Okay, <laughs> yeah, it depends great. how deep you want to go. You can you can just separate it into internal or external, certainly, but there are a few more categories I like to think of. So I think when I struggle the most, or if there's a part of the game that is making me uncomfortable, let's say my wedge play around the greens or bunker play, for example... I get way more mechanical. I start thinking like, oh, what am I doing with the club? Where am I bottoming it out? I'm starting to like think about what my body is doing more and trying to control that. And when I'm playing well and being an athlete, like we talked about in our putting episode, I could be singing a song in my head, like trying to hit a spot on the ground in front of the ball, not really thinking about what I'm doing with my swing all that much. I'm just letting it happen. And then obviously when I struggle more, let's say I'm not controlling my path or where my face is pointing at impact, then maybe I'll get a little more mechanical and struggle with with those thoughts. But I'm trying to always get away from them. Yes. I mean, most people separate these things into internal. So basically, I I should define locus of attention. Yeah. Why don't you? Yeah. Why don't you start us off with some definitions so everyone's on the same page here? So locus of attention is basically where you place your attention, where you place your focus. So if, say, for example, you're walking down the street and you're looking at your phone. Yes, your eyes are going to be on your phone, but occasionally your attention, your your mental eye is going to be on the people in the street or any cars that are in the street or where you're walking. So that's more external. And then you might flip your attention more to the phone occasionally. You're flicking through, you see a nice Instagram post and your attention goes to that. And so where we place our attention affects certain things. Obviously, if you're, if you're engaged in your phone, you're more likely to walk into someone or, you know, walk off the edge of the curb. Whereas if you're more interested or your brain's eye is more on the outside environment, then you're less likely to be absorbing what's going on on your phone. So it's, uh, that's just an analogy to say that the same thing can apply in golf. We could be thinking, as you said, about things like our left arm position, our shoulder turn position, our hip movements. That's defined as an internal focus of attention. Or we could be thinking of certain things outside of our body. So brushing the grass in a certain place is uh, is external. Or thinking about the shot shape, you know, visualizing the shot shape that you're hitting is more of an external thing as well. And I definitely think when I think about how I've evolved as a golfer it's certainly the success has come i don't know if it's a chicken or the egg thing but it just kind of happened this way i've gone from an internal thinker not all the time of course there's there's always moments where these things change but on the whole i've gone from an internal more to external and then i I think you're going to talk about neutral as well if i'm if i'm not mistaken and some of those neutral thoughts that's helped me tremendously and I think that both of us are probably in agreement that golfers should try and get away from those internal thoughts because it's just difficult to execute properly on the course, be an athlete, whatever you want to call that. If you're worrying about, oh, what's my wrist doing here? What's my arm doing there? Is my shoulder turning enough? What are my hips doing? Like You can't have this checklist of things that you have to go through while you're swinging a club. It just, it, it doesn't work that way. And I think we default to that because, you know, the, the golf swing is very, you know, there's a lot of moving parts and, and a lot of them have, you know, people assign importance to all what, what all different parts of your body are doing in the swing. So it's, it's really a struggle to get people away from that. Yeah, we've, I mean, you could talk about where we place our attention, locus of attention. You could talk about the focus of that because you might have a player who has a split focus. They're kind of thinking about the target. They're kind of thinking about something in their swing. It's not a very focused attention. Whereas when I'm playing, I might have a singular focus and all of my brain's attention is on that. So if I'm thinking about face strike, you could have a bull run next to me and I I don't notice it. I'm so engaged in that face strike. 
But yeah, so how many different thoughts you have, how focused you are on them and where you place your attention, all important things. And this stuff has been studied now for over 20 years. And Gabrielle Wolf is probably the lead researcher in all of this. She's done, I think she's done all 20 years basically on, on internal versus external. And her findings conclusively show that external, so thinking of outside your body is better for learning, performance, and transference to the golf course as well, or even in other endeavors. So this could be as simple as, you know, she's done some very simple motor programs. So maybe standing on one leg and trying to balance, focusing on your foot, or standing on one leg, trying to balance, focusing on touching. I think they, they, touched a part of a wall or something or a curtain or something like that so that was more of an external focus and they found that balance was improved with the external focuses all the way to things like dart studies where if you throw darts at a dartboard if you're thinking of your arm mechanics versus thinking of the outcome and again obviously the external improves in that regard even in, in terms of testing, so once they've done these little pre-tests and then they go into a real-life game situation, again, external outperforms massively. Now, I'm not in full agreement with all of that research. I think, you know, there are too many players out there who are really good, who think internally to disregard it. So if you ask, say, Bryson DeChambeau, what are you thinking of? He's probably thinking of something mechanical and internal. So we can't really 100% discredit those things, but this is I actually test these things with players. I'll ask them to hit a few balls, testing a different focus, and we can see a difference in result. Have you ever done that yourself? I've always experimented with this, either, you know, even before I knew what it was, and you were really the first person who kind of turned me on to this, these definitions. But like, yeah, I would always, always experiment with different focuses even when I was a junior golfer, maybe thinking about where my hands were, which would certainly be internal or probably where more of my success was, was like, oh, can I just focus on bottoming out my club in front of the ball? Like I actually heard Rory McIlroy say this once. Someone asked him this question. I don't know how long ago it was, maybe a few years, but it stuck with me. You know, what he thinks about under pressure. And he said, he's like, I just try and sometimes just think about smacking the ground in front of the ball. Yeah, that's all I think of in my in my iron shots, just hitting ball and turf. That's pretty much it. Yeah, I agree with you. Like we always say this on most episodes that, you know, everything we say on this show or on our sites, wherever, there's always caveats to everything in golf because we could say like, yes, our main thesis here is probably going to get golfers going away from internal thinking to external thinking. But then you have a player like Bryson DeChambeau who has tremendous success, like dissecting the swing down to its like last little nuance. And he's one of the best golfers in the world. Now, do I think most golfers will have success going that route? No way, because I think most of them are trying to do that already and not seeing a lot of success. What's your main like thesis on internal versus external as it applies to golfers, like based on what you've seen and what you've taught? Like, what are you trying to get people to do? Well, I mean, personal experience, when I was learning golf as, as a kid, I was very internal, which is unusual for a kid, but I was all, always reading the books, reading Ledbetter, Fowler books, thinking of mechanics. So if you asked me what my swing thoughts were as a kid, I would be thinking of, you know, left arm position or something like that. And that got really frustrating for me as well, because, you know, you get your swing to look a certain way and you don't see improvement in the results. And I got to that point where I was basically playing golf swing, not golf anymore. I was so... I was just so mechanical. I would say I was trapped. Or a friend of mine, Steve Yellen, he says, you swing jail. You're in swing jail, swing thought jail, because you're just thinking about your swing so much. You're not playing the game anymore. You, you can lose instinct. You can de-skill yourself by thinking too mechanically about things. And if you don't believe me, try and throw a ball into a bucket thinking of your arm movements. Or try and just walk thinking about which your which arm moves forward as which foot moves forward and whether you land on your heel or your toe try and think of those things and see how unnatural the movement becomes so what i started to find and veer towards was these more external ways of thinking and i i kind of found it through teaching 
So, you know, out of frustration, I suppose, with pupils, I was trying to get beginners to just, you know, hit a tee to get the ball in the air. And that's all you're after with a beginner. And I was doing everything by the book. You know, I was talking about arm structure, keeping your posture, things like that, all mechanical things. But players would always find a way to miss the tee or they were just really inconsistent with it. And kind of out of frustration, I just asked someone one day, just just clip these tees for me. And I lined up 10 in a row and I said, just clip these tees for me and we're going to play a game of higher and lower. Okay, that was too high, go lower. That was too low, go higher. And all of a sudden, this person just like unlocked this amazing ability to control the height of the club without having to think of any body mechanics. And so I started to develop those tasks into more structured things that I could give to players of different levels. But I've done so much, so many tests on this now, and it's very clear that if someone is thinking of brushing the grass, say, for example, I ask them to hit the top of the grass, then the middle of the blade of grass, then the bottom of the blade of grass, they're much better at controlling that when their brain is on that than if they're thinking of the mechanical pieces that relate to that. Does that make sense? Yeah. And listen, I've, I've been in the jail you talk about. <laughs> I've served my time and probably will serve my time again. So I've been there where I'm stuck in this constant search for the next right swing thought, usually internal. And I hear it all the time from people who like contact me through Twitter or through the site. They're like, oh, I've been watching this coach's YouTube videos and he told me to do this with my swing and then that wasn't working. So I went to this guy and you know, my philosophy is always the same on swing instructors. I all think they have great information, but I believe in continuity and, and certainly sticking with one voice. But if you're constantly on this search for these thoughts, particularly about what your body is doing while you swing, I just don't think that the the several seconds before and after where you're executing a shot is going to go all that well for you. So, yeah, with me, like I've had people try and fix my takeaway, for example. You've seen my takeaway. It's very unorthodox. Yeah, it's, it's Nancy Lopez, Ray Floyd, it's Nancy Lopez, uh, John yes. Daly. So there's some good players with your takeaways. But every every person who's ever seen it, every instructor who's seen it, they've they've tried to fix it and they've said like, oh, you know, keep your right hand on top of it, do this, do that, you know, move this block of wood. And all that resulted, it was in me going against my natural instincts as a player. And all of a sudden, all I'm thinking about is my takeaway now while I play. And after a while, I'm like, you know what? This isn't working for me. It's not making me a better ball striker thinking about this. So I just stopped trying to fix it and just kind of go back to what I was doing and and, and do the things that you and me have discussed on this podcast, which is, you know, seeing the fault in my ball flight and kind of working backwards and, and doing the opposite in a more instinctual way, like seeing the shot. Am I overhooking it? All right, what can I do to change that movement in my body through that external focus? So yeah, I've kind of arrived at this on my own terms, but I see the power in it. And that's why I want to kind of discuss this. So we've all as golfers been have been led to the internal swing thought jail, I guess is my main point. Well you've made a few good points there. Um on the topic of uh, I suppose a disadvantage of thinking internally, thinking about body movements, is you can lose connection to other variables like the target, where your target is in space. If you're standing over a golf ball thinking of shoulder turn, your brain it isn't as connected to the target, isn't isn't in the same place mentally. And that can kill you in putting. Going back to our last episode, I've seen so many players who they get, they're thinking so much about their swing mechanics or their stroke mechanics. They can't get their speed control anymore. They completely lose their speed control because their brain is disconnected from the target. It's disconnected from the environment around this. So there are times to go internal, but I think it can it can hurt in a lot of ways. And on the flip side of that, the, the other end of the spectrum, with external focuses, what most people don't realize is if you think of brushing the ground in the right place, if you achieve that task, you are positively affecting the mechanics. You're just not aware of, the, of it. So just like if you grab a, a glass of water and it's one minute is lower down and then the next minute is on a higher shelf, you grab the glass, you're using different mechanics but your focus is to grab the glass, right? Your brain can figure out the mechanics. Your brain can intuitively figure out 
whether you how you need to grab a glass that's lower down versus higher up. It changes the shoulder mechanics for you. Imagine trying to do that task of grabbing a glass, thinking about your shoulder mechanics. And that's where most golfers are, right? They're trying to hit that golf ball towards a target, thinking about the, the movement mechanics. Let's say, you know, we had an episode about swing changes and how to go about it, how long it should take. In the context of, let's say, you're you're trying to change a motor pattern. Let's say someone's identified a fault in your swing and they're like, listen, you're not going to be a decent or functional ball striker unless we have to fix this part of your swing. And let's say it is an internal cue. Do you think it makes sense for the golfer to work on that in the range environment and that kind of consequence-free environment? Is that a place where internal thoughts make sense for you? Would you Are you okay with that? Yeah, so an example would be someone who's making a, a, a movement that is very injurious to them, is going to cause injury. And so you'd want to change that. And so changing that might require an internal focus, you know, think about what their hips do, for example, to put them in a safer position. And so, yeah, you might have to do a lot of reps, with that focus, but there are different phases that you can do. You can separate that and put that into the range work. But then as you get closer to playing, you can go back to the external focuses or do a little testing session and see which one performs best for you. Now, over time, if you do enough reps with that new movement pattern, so the new hip motion, for example, over time, when you stop thinking about it, you will move a little bit differently. You will move closer to what you've been training. So a good example that everybody could relate to is the first time you you were taught how to grip a golf club. It probably felt horrible. You had to be really conscious of it. You had to go through a checklist and repeat it over and over. But now you've repeated it, you don't have to think about it anymore. So yes, we can work on internal things, but that doesn't necessarily mean we have to think of those things forever. And what most players do is they actually start to just layer on different thoughts. So they try and learn one thing and then the next thing they try and learn, they add that. They don't, they don't learn something and get rid of the focus, if that makes sense. They just, okay, I've learned my grip. Let's think about grip and posture now. Let's think grip, posture and stance. And then all of a sudden they have this huge checklist of items. Whereas if they just understood the learning process, they, they wouldn't have that long checklist of items. Yeah, I would say my my philosophy on now, like where I, no matter what level of golfer you are, I think that you have to put in conscious work off the course to get to a place where you're unconscious on the course. So in the example of like, you say, let's throwing a dart or throwing a ball into a target. Yeah, there might be a time and place where like, let's say you're you're a youngster learning, you know, teaching someone how to throw a ball or throw a dart. Like, yeah, there's going to be some like, you know, instructional stuff on the on the actual motion that they work on. But you want to get to a place where see the target execute, not thinking about what my elbow is doing, what my fingers and wrists are doing. And that's really hard to do in golf because as we know, it's a stationary game. It's not a reactive game like other sports. So we have all this time to kind of think about <laughs> mostly these internal thoughts will, will kind of creep into our head as we're approaching the ball and then when we're standing over it and you almost have to fight against them. But that's where, you know, where I think golfers should strive to be is you go from conscious work to unconscious execution on the course. And I think that kind of speaks to these internal and external thoughts. Why don't you give us like a list or some examples of external thoughts as it pertains to golf. I know you've mentioned brushing the grass, but like, can you give us a little bit, a little bit of a list of what you're thinking of? Yeah, I can go through. I can go through a list of different types of thoughts as well. The, the six different categories I have, but you know, before I, before I do, I just want to say that if you were on a desert island with a golf club and you were just hitting towards a palm tree and you had no one around, there were you probably wouldn't get many internal thoughts. The reason why every golfer is backed up with internal thoughts is because every single YouTube video out there, every single magazine article they've picked up, every single book apart from mine that they pick up is all bombarding golfers with internal thoughts. Move your body this way. Put your lead wrist this way. And so it's it's outside influences that really make us that really internal. So So yeah, we've got all the internal stuff, right? You can actually have an external 
movement focus as well. So you could be technical and be external. So an example of this is, say I asked you to turn your belt buckle to face the target in the follow-through. That is a mechanical focus, but it's actually classed as external because it, because the belt buckle is outside of your body. And this is, yeah, that makes sense. this is a really interesting, just a little flip. So whenever I am changing someone's mechanics, I always try to make it a little bit more external. So I know that when I was learning how to bench press with a personal trainer, they told me to imagine a grape in, in my back, in my scapula, and I'm trying to squeeze the grape as I'm pushing forward. So that forces you to put your shoulders in a certain position. So that's a great example of flipping from internal, which would be focusing on my shoulders, to focusing on something external, which is squeezing the grape, that gets the mechanics for you. So I think loads of other sports are going this road as well. So I'll often tell someone to do something with their watch face, or if I'm trying to get someone to have different wrist angles at the top of the swing, I might say, imagine you're supporting a tray of drinks at the top. So that that's a different visual. It's still a technical focus. Yeah, I think those are incredibly helpful. I know that I kind of revert to these thoughts when I'm struggling, like particularly like in wedge play. I often talk about how I think the rotation of your hips and, and sternum, like when I'm struggling, and I think with a lot of other golfers, when they struggle with wedge play, it just stops moving and then their arms kind of do some crazy stuff. So I often think about like this imaginary rod sticking out from my chest and I'm wanting this rod to like keep moving and my belt buckle to finish at the target almost. So I know that I'm rotating my body through versus having it stall out because that that's what I do when I get nervous or uncomfortable over a lot of wedge shots. So that that's something that's I've kind of arrived at on my own that's helpful to me, but it's not really thinking about what my wrists are doing, my my hands, like manipulating the club all that much. It's more of like that, what you said, it's it's an external thought. Yeah, it's a small change. It's a subtle difference, but it does matter. So, for example, instead of saying press into the press your lead foot into the ground, you could say uh, imagine a weighing scale under your left foot and making the needle jump. It's such a small difference, but for whatever reason, it has been studied in in the motor learning science, and it makes a difference. Oh, I don't, I mean, I see like, and I'm not trying to, I'm sure we have some instructors listening to this podcast. I'm not trying to attack anyone specifically, but when I like kind of dive around on Twitter or wherever, and I see what you talked about, like ground pressure and that stuff, like I hear these things about like what people are like trying to accomplish in their swing. They're like, oh, rip the, you know, do this with your foot. And I'm like, I'm like, if I thought about that, I would literally top the ball. Like I just... I couldn't even do it. So I often hear this stuff. I'm like, I just, maybe that's just how my brain works and it, probably a lot of people's brains, but like I could never think about like trying to jump off the ground while I was swinging or something like that. It just wouldn't work for me. I, I can do it. So if you ask me to swing back and get my left arm in a different position, I could do it, but it would affect my performance. It, it would lower yeah. my performance. And that's how I used to play as a kid. And then I started to find these more external focuses. So, so we've got pure internal would be, say, thinking of your left arm position. Uh, external movement would be maybe reaching for the top corner of a door frame. So that's the same thing, right? You're still trying to influence your left arm position, but it's a different type of focus. Then we get more to what I call task focuses, or I call the external process in my book. This is where most golfers are kind of surprised at how well they perform with these things. But this is brushing the ground in the right place or making a deeper divot. If I ask you to thump the ground, that's an external focus. If I ask you to try and hit more towards the toe or the heel, or brush the grass closer to you or farther away from you, or present the face more open or closed, that is an external task process focus. We're essentially defining all of the things that we've been talking about. Yeah. And every other episode of this. So uh, I'm glad we're doing this now because now we're giving a name to what we've been talking about so much on the sweet spot. Yeah. And I do get some emails from people saying, Oh, is, I, I'm, I'm confused. Is this an external or is this a, and I say, it's not too important how it's defined or categorized. I mean, I could, 
but it's more important, does it work for you? Does it improve you? Does it do the job that we're after? And so a nail drill is a great example of uh, an external focus. So that's where I, I have a golf ball with a nail on the ground. I'm sure people have heard this a million times. And I can angle that nail to the right or to the left. And when I ask players to hit that, it changes their swing path. And it's an external focus. They're not thinking of body movements. They're thinking of hammering a nail in a certain direction. But the beauty is, even though they're not thinking of body movements, when I video their swing before and after, they can look like a completely different player within one swing. And oftentimes, players will say, oh my god, I've been trying to do that with my right arm for years, and I've never been able to get to do it. And all of a sudden, I'm not thinking of it, I'm just thinking of having this nail, and I'm doing it. And so that concept of self-organization, where you can hold a certain thought in your brain, in your awareness, and the mechanics change for free without you thinking about them. Because I think most golfers think, if I have, if I want to change my swing, I have to think of my swing. That's just not true, like the nail drill shows. This is what always bothered me about, and still continues to bother me about golf when I watch broadcasts like versus other sports that I grew up playing. If I played football, I wasn't thinking about what my arm had to do if I was playing quarterback trying to hit a wide receiver in stride. If I was shooting a basketball, I wouldn't think about what my body was doing. I was looking at the basket and evaluating how far away I was and what my defender was doing. Like, I guess maybe I'm biased because I played so many other sports as a child before I got to golf. That kind of always bothered me about this game because it went from mainly in other sports, I think external focuses, like you're saying like, okay, you know, we're going to try and get you to complete this task. And then in golf, it becomes so, you know, obsessed with the minutia of the golf swing and not to say that stuff isn't important. It has its time and place, but it can't dominate. Like you said before, you can't play golf swing. You've got to play golf. And there's a big difference between the two. Well, here's one of the biggest differences, I'd say, between an internal focus and an external focus. So say you take, for example, just ground strike, contacting the ground in the right place. There are so many variables that relate to that. You know, if your knees flex or extend a little bit, if your upper body bends forward more or up more throughout the swing, if your lead arm flexes a little bit, your scapula retracts, protracts, there's so many variables that relate to contacting the ground in the right place. If you took an internal approach to try and contact the ground in the right place, you drive yourself insane. Because you might look at a 3D chart and say, oh, you, you thinned that one because your scapula retracted too early. Okay, focus on your scapula. But you know what? You might improve your scapula, but what happens to the other 100 variables? And we know this. When you focus on one thing in your body, so say your scapula, the other variables all become uncoordinated. So it's like your brain improves control over one variable, but the other 99 become a mess. So that's the internal approach. Now, the external approach, if I asked you to just try to hit the ground in the right place, and I can throw a few games to improve that as well, but if I just ask you to focus more on where you contact the ground, say, for example, through a divot board, using a divot board, your brain would take all those hundred variables and it would shift them all towards working towards that goal. So different things happen in the brain when we're thinking internally versus externally. And our brain massively improves our coordination when we're thinking externally. We have an exclusive offer on one of my favorite golf shoe brands, True Linkswear. They just released their new Lux G Shoes, which is their first big release of 2024, and it is packed with a ton of features. The Lux G is available in both men's and women's models, and it combines tour level performance with a new fit and feel. You'll get the comfort that True Linkswear is known for with their Wonderlux midsole for a supportive yet comfortable ride. The Lux G is also fully waterproof with a two-year warranty, and they have designed it with their padded heel lock system to ensure stability throughout the entire golf swing. But they didn't stop there. True Linkswear always pays attention to the small details. There's padding on the back to prevent rubbing against your foot, 
an antimicrobial comfort insole, and the Lux G's come in multiple colors. Sweet Spot listeners can get 15% off the Lux G's shoes by visiting truelinkswear.com and using promo code SWEETSPOT. Once again, that's truelinkswear.com and use promo code SWEETSPOT, that's one word, to get 15% off their new Lux G shoes. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. LinkedIn is not just a job board. It helps you hire professionals you cannot find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to a new perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. Also on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Just recently, they even launched a new feature that helps you write your job description, making the process even easier and quicker. And they know that small business owners like myself and Adam are wearing so many hats and might not have the resources to hire, so it's a great place to get help. Now here's what you can do. Post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. That's linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, it's funny. The people who have purchased the divot board and I've gotten overwhelmingly positive feedback from most people, but I've gotten some questions are like, what am I supposed to do in my swing? I'm like, figure out how to move that line to a spot that makes sense. If it's too far behind the ball, figure out a way to move it a few inches you know, closer or you know, just in front of the ball and vice versa. That's as far as I'm going to go because I, I tell them, I'm like, there could be a million reasons mechanically while you're doing that. But I'd rather, I think you have the best chance of improving if you kind of focus on where you're initiating that line on the divot board. Again, not going to solve the problem for everyone, but you know, the feedback I've gotten from people is like, yeah, I've been able to move that line around just by having the feedback in the first place and then self-organizing in a way to make that line start in a better place um, that will lead to better ball striking. I think that's just, again, doesn't work for every single golfer, but that's kind of my philosophy now on on how to fix things. Because like you said, there are a number of reasons why we get certain results on the course or in practice, but trying to dissect all 20 of them at once is very hard to do. It's like spinning plates, right? Golf, just striking the ground in the right place is like 20 different variables, all you know, spinning plates, right, where it's on a stick and you, you see those people spinning it and they're keeping it. Yeah, them it's up. like a circus sideshow thing. Yeah, but if you're doing it internally, you're having to run around, do this variable, then that variable, then this variable, and it just becomes a nightmare. Whereas when you go more external, it's basically like the plates start to spin themselves. Now, it doesn't mean it's easy, okay? As, as people find, striking the ground in the right place is not easy, even when you're thinking externally. However, if you're getting good quality feedback like the divot board and you see that gap between where you're trying to hit the ground and where you're actually hitting the, the ground, over time, that gap will get smaller. So you will improve it only by having that feedback and, and doing reps. Now, something you can do to speed this up. So when I get a player who asks me, how do I hit further forwards? I'll actually take the ball away and I'll just say, make a swing and hit a foot in front of that or hit the very front of the divot board. And you know what? Every single person can do it. And I ask them, what did you do to achieve that? And they go, oh, I don't know. I say, yeah, you don't have to know necessarily. That's always been the interesting thing about golf to me is like, I think most people are capable within reason, of course, of hitting the shots that they want to. Not saying you're going to drive it like Rory or hit irons like Colin Morikawa, but eliminate a lot of those tops, shanks, all those nasty ones and get back to those functional golf shots that make you a bit happier. I think every golfer I've come across for the most part has that potential. They have that inner athlete in them to get that done. And I think this is not the only thing holding them back, but I think, you know, our role as coaches and what we're doing here is trying to give 
you know, golfer is a bigger toolbox and just giving yourself a better chance at improving. And I think this is one category, and we have been talking about this without defining it a lot in this show, is that we're trying to get you away from the mechanical golfer to the more task-oriented, external, you know, thinking about striking it on the club face in certain spots where you're hitting it on the ground, adjusting your swing path without actually thinking about what your shoulder or arms is going to have to do. Like what I do on the course, if I'm overhooking it, my last external thought before I hit a drive a lot of the time is like, I'm going to try and hit a baby cut here. Okay. So do you visualize the actual shape of the shot when you do that? Yeah. When I do my pre-shot routine with my driver now, I feel very comfortable almost doing like a fade slice swing as like a kind of last like goal. And that usually neutralizes what my fault can be, which is an extreme into out path. Oftentimes I'll think about that and, you know, for long periods of time that can get me hitting the ball incredibly straight or even a slight draw. So that goes into the fourth type category. So we have it pure internal, which is thinking of wrist angles or something like that. We have external movement, which is thinking of holding a tray of drinks. We have external process, which is thinking about ground contact, face contact, face presentation, things like that. Now we move to external result focus, which is what you're talking about there, shaping a shot or visualizing a shape of shot, visualizing the trajectory of the shot, visualizing where you want the ball to start. So yep. most players will get very external result focus when they're in, in a bunch of trees, right? Because they stand over the ball and their brain is much more on, right, I've got to get it through that gap or something like that. So their brain is is much more out there. Now this... I found this one to be good for players who are already of a decent level. So, for example, Annika Sorenstam used to use this. I know Vision 54 used to say to uh, to Annika about visualizing the target and, and keeping that mental image. Something we talked about with Tiger last time in putting. Uh, in the last episode, we talked about the click. So taking a mental yep. photograph, that again puts you into that external result focus. I know Bubba Watson, um, he talks about just visualizing a window in front of the ball, about kind of six, 10 feet in front of the ball. And he's trying to smash the window. So he's, he's basically focusing on start direction and curve. Now, this is not good for everybody. If you are shanking it, or if you are fatting every shot, then thinking of the target probably won't do good for you. You might have to think about something more like face strike or ground contact. But as I said, with players who are of a really good level, this can be a good focus for them. Yeah, it's helped. I mean, I can, going back into that tournament I played in the other week, I remember on the 18th hole of Bethpage Red, which is probably one of the hardest finishing holes I've ever played. I often joke that they should switch it with black. It's, you know, 470 yards, big bunkers up the right, bunker on the left. And I remember stepping up to the tee shot thinking that I probably had to par the hole. So my last thought was I picked the exact spot in the fairway that I made the most sense. I knew I could carry the bunkers on the left. So I had my spot picked out based on my strategy. And my last swing thought was just hammer a fade. And the ball went laser straight because what did I do? I neutralized my swing path a bit and it just, I mean, again, that was one example under a lot of pressure and that doesn't always work for me. Uh, But I certainly wasn't thinking about my takeaway, my shoulder rotation or anything like that. It was just target, rip the fade and I went. Yeah, it's interesting. I actually test these things in my own game. So I'll hit fades thinking about the shape of the shot. So my mind is completely engaged in out there. My eyes might be on the ball, but my brain is still picturing that ball curving left to right and I'll hit fades. And then I'll hit fades with a different focus. I'll think of the club path. So I'll think more of the club working left with the face being open. Well, both are necessary to play a fade but it's just a different way of thinking about it if that makes sense and i i actually perform better with a fade when i'm thinking of the path and the face which is still external 
But with a draw, I perform better hitting a draw when I'm thinking of the shape of the shot. So there's all these little, you can, you can break this down so uh, precisely and get the exact locus of attention that performs best for you. You can even do wide and narrow external focuses. So for example, if I asked you to imagine a big area that you're trying to hit towards. So instead of trying to pick a specific spot on the fairway, you know, a blade of grass or something on the fairway, that would be a very narrow focus. Instead, think of the entire fairway. So you're imagining that is your area. And again, I've tested this in myself and I actually perform better when I think of a wider area because it relaxes me when I'm thinking of a huge like 60 yard circle, like like we always talk about with Scott Fawcett with the uh, decade golf with his 60 yard dispersion cone. When you visualize a 60 yard area on the course and it kind of frees you up to make a, oh, absolutely. a good swing. So I find that much better than p- picking a very precise target mentally. Well, I do that in the sense like I do use Scott's system when I plan out, but I, I kind of do both because I know I've got that huge window and I'm saying, okay, that's the point where I want to start the ball or hopefully land it. But I have room like on that hole, for example, I knew the only thing could kill me is if I hit it right. There's just massive dunes up there. You're dead. But I knew I could carry the bunker on the left. So I had all this room to the left. If I pulled it fine, if I blocked a little bit, I could still hit the fairway. I was aimed away from the massive trouble, which I think will hopefully get Mark Brody on the show and maybe Scott eventually too. Like that's really when we're talking about tee shot strategy is you know, you're planning for obviously your best result, but trying to mitigate major disaster. So I think the combination of all of those can free you up. And again, I think you're right that each player has to experiment with their own thoughts. But I guess I'm almost thinking about both as like, I do have my specific target, but I I do realize I've got room to miss both left and right, and I'll still be okay. I guess that's kind of like the the backup plan. Well, I I suppose a good example of this is with putting. Say you have a lag putt. You're maybe 20 to 30 feet away. You're not going to hole it too many times. So I can test with players. Let's focus on a specific part of the cup and roll the ball towards it. Or I can say, imagine a dustbin lid around the hole. And let's roll just trying to get into the dustbin lid. And we can test what the what the performance was like after that. And in many cases, players will perform well, it's it's just individual. I can't really say say which one's better. It's it's highly individual. So I know there are always articles saying, oh, what is it? Think small, miss small, or aim small, miss small. And I'm like, well, that's yeah. not true for everybody. It just really isn't. It's not true in my own game. I perform better putting when I'm thinking of the dustbin lid. And I perform better with my long game when I'm thinking of a wider area. Yes, you might have that specific spot within that. It's not as heightened a focus as if you're literally trying to hit a specific spot. Yeah, I think it's interesting because it can be different for each player. Like for years... I had a swing thought that were, and I think you would define this as neutral. I was thinking about the tour tempo beats. This was maybe three or four years, literally in my head while I was swinging. It was dun, 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 which was start, top, hit. That was my thought for many years and it worked great for me. And, and, and for whatever reason, I just gravitated away from it. I don't think about that anymore. Maybe I'm thinking about some different things while I swing, like what I was talking about with, you know, feeling the fade, but really playing my draw, which is a little bit counterintuitive, but I think we've explained in other episodes how that works. But yeah, for years, I was thinking about tempo beats in my head and it worked really well for me. It's a perfect segue into neutral focuses. I know. I I knew I'm steering us (laughs) in the right direction. Because I'm looking at the clock, we're at like 45 minutes. I'm like, all right, let's get to let's get to neutral. Yeah, so neutral focuses. These are really unique. And the first time I'd ever come across this was in my first job, and we were doing something where we just you walk in, you step up, and you hit almost instantly, and it doesn't give you much time to think. And I had a few players who were really analytical, and they still were thinking too much. So I used the metronome, and I got beep beep, and I asked them try to keep in time with the beeps and then we'd even if they couldn't do that i'd ask them to count so they would walk in and the the first step would be one and then the second step would be two then three then four they get over the ball and they have to hit on a certain number and uh, swing back on a certain number so basically i was occupying their conscious mind completely with a focus 
that wasn't related to the golf swing. It wasn't related yep. to anything. It wasn't related to performance. They're literally just focusing on staying in time with the beeps. And what I found was half of people perform worse with that. But there was, there was about half of people who performed unbelievably with that. And I could almost say it wasn't a, a pure correlation, but it was usually the players who were better they performed much better when they did this. So players who had reached a certain uh, level of proficiency in golf, they kind of unlocked that consistency that they always knew they had. Th that's how I define it really. It made players more consistent. So for example, if you're consistent, if your average is to strike the center of the face, then it made people strike more consistently towards the center of the face. The, the only problem with a neutral focus was if I got a shanker, and I asked them to do this neutral focus, the counting, they shanked it more consistently. <laughs> so it wasn't for them. I think the neutral thoughts are more for the players where it's like, all right, let's get you out of your own way type of yeah. thing. Like we know you can strike the ball. Like, I, And I've had discussions with, you know, other golfers that are very good who I've played with who are struggling. And when I'm struggling, we talk. And it's, you know, I, I always come back to like, you know how to do this. You know, you're just in a in a funk. Like I, I've done things like sing a song. Like yep. I, it's crazy. Some rounds, I will have songs in my head. Sometimes they're kids' songs from my children's whatever, <laughs> like Disney movies. And it's so weird. Like in certain tournaments under pressure, like I will literally be singing a song on repeat in my head. And sometimes it's from like Disney's Moana or maybe a song that I like. And it's just on repeat in my head sometimes during rounds. Or I've had times where like my son, when he was younger, used to love to watch me hit balls on the sky track and he would call out numbers on the wedge, you know, talking about the random wedge practice we've discussed. And he'd be like 78, 63, 65, and we'd see how close I can hit it. And every time I leave for a tournament now, I tell my son to call out a few numbers for me because I love to play his voice back in my head when I'm feeling nervous. And that is totally unrelated to the task at hand. That is a very neutral thought. And it does help me under pressure. Best round I ever had. I had a song stuck in my head. And I remember, dude, I've, I've done this with loads of players. You know, I had a Turkish girl at IMG Academy. She performed really well with uh, singing Lady Gaga, just walking in in a routine. And she had the hit. It's like that. Rah, 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 rah. Yeah, that, I mean, I mean, because it just, I think it evokes really positive feelings, like especially if like you're really into that music. Like if I'm thinking of children's songs, I'm thinking about good moments with my kids. Like I think it can do a lot of like great things in your brain if it's appropriate for the player, of course. Yeah. So I like it if a player's tendencies, usually if a player's tendencies are good, so the average face strike is good, then doing these neutral focuses will improve the consistency around that where um, neutral focuses are probably not too good is if you have bad tendencies. If your average pattern is a fat shot, doing a neutral focus is probably not going to shift that. It might just make it more consistently fat. But there are surprises within that as well. I have had shankers who, when they stand over the ball, I ask them, what are you thinking of? And they're thinking, don't shank it. And I say, okay, well, <laughs> well, well, let's replace that with something that's a little bit yeah. more neutral. Let's think of, uh, d do the beeps for me, the counting, and they, they fix their shank. So in some cases it works. Really, you just have to test this out. But, um, it can, it can help people to learn how to enter the zone as well a, a little bit more often. Yep. So we all know about the zone where that optimal performance state where we're not necessarily thinking. Some people may have entered this if you're on the range and you're beating balls and you're kind of not thinking about anything and you enter a rhythm and then all of a sudden you go, Oh, I've been hitting it quite well recently or the last 10 shots. And so most people have experienced that and then they end up snapping themselves out of it, right? Because <laughs> then they go, oh, maybe I should think of something in my swing now. Oh, why am I not hitting it well now? <laughs> so um, that leads to the, the final categorization of uh, locus of attention, which is transcendental. So it's going outside of your body, outside of yourself. And there's a nice little clip of Tiger Woods talking about how some of the best shots he's hit, he remembers pulling the club out of the bag, but he doesn't remember anything in between until he sees the ball land. So it's almost like a blackout as he enters uh, the standing over the ball. So that's it's hard to get into that, 
But I've found that when you work on neutral focuses, which are controllable, players are more likely to have more zone-like experiences. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I've had to work on just, you know, dealing with nerves in in tournaments and stuff is I've found that I've done a little meditation training through Sam Harris, which, you know, Scott Fawcett has always recommended to people. And I worked with his app for about maybe four or five months. I probably don't keep up with it as much anymore, but I learned a lot about, you know, when you are trying to calm your mind down and what you're thinking about and going through these drills, like a lot of it is just focusing on the breath, you know, in through the nose, out through the mouth, super slowly and counting. And I've done that on the course because my tendency is to speed up if things aren't going well. My mind speeds up, my body, I'll walk to my ball faster, I'll I'll go through my routine too fast, I won't pick out the target properly. So I'm trying to consciously slow things down through my breath on purpose. And I've watched, I think everyone has watched Tiger, you know, when he was in, not that I'm getting into the Tiger zone, but I know he must be meditating on the course in some way. You could just see like he blinks slowly. Like the I've even had golfers tell me this, like great tournament golfers are like, I have a, a rhythm that I try and maintain. And it sounds like meditation to me. That is something that I continue to work on. But in, in moments where I'm very stressed, maybe it's a first tee shot or something like the, I'm not thinking about my swing. I'm thinking about slowly through the nose, out, just calm down, like just focusing on my breath just taking my attention away from like, oh, you don't want to pull the ball into the out of bounds on that first shot or the last one of the day. So it doesn't always work, but I think it can give you a better chance. I've kind of identified three things that help us get into that zone-like state. And this is true in life as well. So one of them is rhythm or rhythms. And that's why I like the counting routine a lot or the tour tempos, stuff like that. Because Yep. You know, think of how how do you get a baby to go to sleep, right? You rock it back and forth. You sing it a lullaby. So it's kind of a rhythm. I know we don't want to fall asleep on the golf course, but rhythms help relax us. It's why we like music. That's why I hate jazz. <laughs> but yeah, so rhythms are a huge thing. I think if, if there's a rhythmical nature, not just to your swing, but your whole routine, there's a kind of beat to it, then that helps a lot. Consistency of routine as well. So people often say, when I drive to work every day, I never remember the journey. It's like, yeah, because you do the same thing every single day. And when we do the same thing every day, our brain shifts it to uh, to our unconscious. It makes it more autopilot. Now you still stop for the red lights. You know, you don't have to be conscious about that. You still stop for that. But it, there's a routine to it. And if you've ever had your routine disturbed, you know, you wake up late and you have to rush, you know how that affects your entire day. So if you have rhythms, you have a consistency to your routine, this all serves to help relax our mind, sit everything back into the unconscious. I think Annika Sorenstam, someone analyzed it. She took like literally, I think it was 24, 27 seconds, whatever the number was. It was an uncanny ability from when she pulled the club out of her bag until when she hit the shot, like exactly the same every single time. Same with Tiger. Yeah. And I don't think it was a coincidence. Yeah, I've got Tiger from 2001 when he won the Pebble Beach by 15 shots. And I've got a side-by-side. I've got one shot from day one, I think, and one shot from the very last one. And the routines from the moment he steps forward, even the looks at the target at the exact same times, and then he swings back and goes. It's almost like lots of people think, oh, this is the same swing. It's just different camera angles. And you're like, nope, that's a different hole. He just kept the routine (laughs) that consistent. So yeah, consistencies of routine, rhythm in your routine and swing help as well. The third thing that helps you enter this uh, transcendental focus is belief that it's okay. So what I mean by that is when I was younger, if I entered that good performance where I wasn't thinking, I would pull myself out of it because I thought, no, I have to be in conscious control. That's what I thought good golf was. No, I have to be consciously controlling my swing. I would ruin that. (laughs) Whereas now when I'm older, because I've seen that neutral focuses work, I'm of the belief that no, I don't have to be conscious of my swing in order for it to perform well. So those three things I'd say are really important. Yeah, I just Googled it because I forgot the name of my own article, but I wrote an article 
probably three or four years ago. It's entitled The True Power in Golf Comes from Letting Go. And it was kind of like a realization I had. And again, this is perhaps a little philosophical. We are talking about transcendentalism. (laughs) So here we go. But it was kind of a moment when I realized under pressure, like, it's just okay. You know, it's going to be okay either way. It's just golf. Whether I, I perform well on this shot or I blow it down the stretch, like it literally doesn't matter. Like I will be okay in, in the cosmic scheme of things. And it always doesn't feel like that. I still make that mistake where I probably place too much important on each result. But yeah, that that's a big one is just like getting out of your own body and looking for above and just being like, I'm just going to let go of the, the result here and just do it, you know? And that's a hard thing. People experience the opposite of that. If you've ever had a good front nine where you haven't been thinking too much and it's just been like almost a dream and then all of a sudden you you total up your front nine and you go, oh, wow, I'm, I'm on for a really good score here. And now your results are Yeah, and then the killer phrase, I'd better focus now. And then they start thinking about their swing. They start trying to control things and they completely blow up on the back nine. Or you can see the reverse of that as well, where people are so focused. They're trying so hard. They're thinking about their swing on the front nine. They play awful. They total it up and they go, oh, I might as well just give up for the back nine. And they enter this more relaxed zone-like state and they start playing better so for like 85 percent of my golf life that was me like i i remember from the ages of probably like 13 to like 29 i don't think i ever had a back nine that was higher than my front nine like that would always happen to me i kind of figured out a way to reverse that sometimes now but been there done that and still do it sometimes well um, if you keep repeating that pattern and you don't notice it then there's a problem <laughs> yeah exactly I, and again i was uh i was a golfer that really didn't think too much about these things so upon introspection i did figure some things out that i think we're we're sharing here all right so why don't we go to the the homework part of this episode I guess the the actionable things because we're almost at our our end mark that we've created for ourselves here. I mean, is there anything else you want to say? I think we've maybe gone through everything that you wanted to. Maybe not everything. You tell me. No, number one is is just understanding there are different ways of thinking about this game. There are different places that you can have your attention. You could be very mechanically focused, internal. You could be more external, dealing with the task, so brushing the ground, hitting the face. Uh, presenting the face more open or closed or you could even be thinking about the result itself you know the shape of the shot that's external result or you could have a neutral focus thinking about breathing thinking about counting thinking about your rhythm or sometimes you can you can't force this but you can get in that transcendental phase where you're not thinking of anything at all and all of them have specific goals i would say or specific advantages and disadvantages If you want to change someone's swing, you're probably going to have to think somewhat internally. However, that can disrupt coordination. If you want to improve coordination and improve your ground contact, it's probably best to think of that. And then if you want to make things more consistent around your patterns, then having more of a neutral focus can work. But the ultimate, the homework, I would say, is test some of these things. You know, hit 10 shots thinking of a mechanical focus. This is how I came with my up to my testing protocol. I had a player who was very internal and I asked him, hit 10 drives down that fairway and think of your left arm position because that's what he wanted to think of. And then I asked him to just think of a big area down the target. So complete result focus. And he picked up 20% more fairways hit by changing that. And so that was, for me, was a way of proving to him that thinking about his mechanics was not optimal for him. Yeah, I think if I've got some closing statements here, I think in general, we've been led to believe that internal swing thoughts will lead to success in golf. They do have their time and place, but I don't think you can execute or become the golfer you want to be if you are, you know, consumed with those thoughts on the course. And I'll give a perfect example of someone recently, and he's he's been helped by you too. I won't I won't name him, but he's a very prominent person in the golf industry. Reached out to me a couple of weeks ago, told me he's struggling with his driver, he's hitting it all over the map, and it's it's just becoming a real problem for him. Marred down in internal swing thoughts from multiple instructors, and you know he sent me some videos of his swing, and I'm not a swing instructor, and he, you know it didn't look all that crazy to me. I'm like. 
I'm like, you know how to do this. Like, and he's like, I stripe it on the range. I do all this stuff. So I'm like, I actually told him to listen to some of our episodes. I gave him some face strike stuff, some other thoughts. You know, he doing some of your stuff, Adam. He left me a voicemail the other day saying, oh my God, I played. I won't tell you the chorus because it was for something in the industry. And he's like, I just striped my driver. Like, I feel free again. Like he was like, he's like, thank you so much. And what did I tell him to do? <laughs> Spray the face of his driver and start thinking about where he was hitting it on the face. And like, it just got him. I knew the problem was he was stuck with all these internal thoughts. He he had the ability to hit his driver long and straight. I'm like, I got to get this guy outside of his own head. And this might not work forever, but it certainly led him down a path that he hadn't been down before. Because he'd been down the path we're all used to, which is do this with your shoulder, do this with your wrist, do this. And it's just like you you step up to the ball terrified of what's going to happen. I bet everybody listening to this is going to be saying to themselves, oh, my God, my swing thoughts are all internal. Yep. And there was a, a post the other day on my Facebook group where someone posted that they were hitting out of the toe. They, they posted a picture of the spray and they saw it was all out of the toe and they asked for advice. I think there was something like 200 comments. Oh, God, this is making me nauseous. All of them, all of them were internal focuses of tension. Oh, you need to do this with your hips. Oh, you need to do this with your weight. You need to do this with your left arm. That's the problem. Not only were all of them a bunch of rubbish, I mean, most of them, some of them would have made the player worse. So even though they were internal, they were bad internal stuff as well. Even the good internal stuff, the stuff that logically related, there was not one external thing in there. No, no one said, have you ever tried hitting the other side of the face? Have you ever tried uh, brushing this part of the ground? And those are the things I've seen it a million times where someone comes to my lesson tee and they're struggling with internal stuff. I give them a simple external thing and it unlocks their ability instantly. And they go, why has no one ever thought like this or told me to think like this? I, I shrug. I say, I don't know. I can give a lot of answers to that. They won't be very nice. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I, I can. <laughs> but well. yeah, I think I'm hoping this episode will be you know impactful for a lot of players because if it gets you experimenting with different external thoughts, perhaps neutral ones, or even the breathing exercises I was talking about. I think you only stand to gain from this. And I would tell people to, like Adam says, it's kind of experiment with what cues work for you. Like for me, thinking about ground contact or brushing that blade of grass in front of the ball is very helpful for me. And it's helpful for Rory McIlroy too. He said it himself. So yeah, kind of play around with this and see what happens. And then if it doesn't work, please don't send us angry emails. Yeah, personally, with my irons, I focus on ground contact. With my driver, I focus on face contact. Occasionally, I'll change it from those, but I've kind of stabilized around those focuses of tension. I found that those just consistently work well for me. Guys, if you if you are really interested in this stuff and you want to dig deeper, then my book goes into lots of detail on this. So it's the practice manual, the ultimate guide for golfers available on Amazon. And John, you got anything that you want to share? Any additional bits of information? Just go to my site. <laughs> go to practical-golf.com. Any specific articles? What about that one you yeah, mentioned? Yeah, you can look up Google. The true power in golf comes from letting go. It was kind of a personal experience I had at a tournament probably four or five years ago. But yeah, I think a lot of the articles I write on my site are along the lines of what we're discussing. So there's there's hundreds of them. You can poke around. Um, you can check out the deals. We got a deal on the different board, which we spoke about. And check out our newsletter. But I think we're at our time here. So again, I just want to thank everyone for listening. Our, our downloads keep going up. Our positive feedback. I mean, if you look at our Apple feedback, it's like, this is the best golf podcast ever. It's It's helping people. So we're so happy to hear that. And we appreciate all the support. Adam, what are your what are your closing statements here? Yeah, I mean, th thanks to everybody for listening. Hopefully we're giving you some stuff that you wouldn't normally think about or are not aware of, you know, different, more esoteric ways of thinking about the game and improving your game. So, yeah, thank you to everybody for listening. And we will see you next time. Yeah, bye. Till next week. <laughs>